What's up? It's the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we have Chris Long. We'll get to the game plan before we do that, though. Today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car or home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate? That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game when you want the real deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, Chris Long, hour with Chris Long, talking all sorts of stuff. Warning, warning, tech warning. Something's going on with my files duplicating and, and, and producing blank files. We're not sure. We're not sure what it is. I'd like to... So basically, the Zoom audio is going to be on my end, and then Chris's audio is going to be fine. So for the most part, Chris is talking, and then we kind of bat it back and forth with some nonsensical stuff as we normally do. Uh, also, an announcement about Chris and I on the uh, the, the plan for this, this football f- fall, I guess. Yeah, right. So um, that's what we're going to do. I want a couple NBI observations. I'm also going to give out a Madden code, um, and maybe, you know what? I'm just going to do it right now. I'm going to do it now ahead of smart bumming dudes out. Okay, here we go. Xbox One, XXQVD, JF63X6V3TK, XHJQHVKXDZ. Xbox One, Madden Code, Madden 21. It's in the game. Couple NBA observations, though. Can you handle that, Kyle? Before we we go too far with this, yeah, let's do it. Okay, um, Denver, and we'll do Boston. I might have like a minute or two on the Lakers. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure uh, as they even up that series. There, we'll know more. So I don't want this to be too dated. Okay, the first thing we'll go with the later game. Clippers down to Denver. Denver's moving things along. Jokic is having this incredible game. It's 59-57 at the half. Uh, Paul George, by the way, about nine minutes in the third quarter, he goes for 20. He ends up having a huge game. So, look, those are the reasons why I actually do get frustrated with Paul George because we also know what he's he's capable of when it's really good. And he has been been really good lately. If you look at that game, not only was it what he did offensively and staying locked, and there's, look, there are times when with George... I'll go, okay, are you putting up big numbers and you're way up and this isn't that big of a deal? Um, but that was not the case because this is a tight game. They were down. They cranked up their defense. I think that two-man stuff with Murray and Jokic looks so unstoppable, especially against Utah. It just looks a little different when you have a Beverly option, when you have George fighting to get through and continue. And I, I just some of the stuff he was doing defensively with Jamal Murray later on, you could see like Murray was incredibly frustrated. I think he missed 9 of 10 at one point. He tried to get some bailout on a foul where he likes tucked his shoulder into George and tried to knock him backwards and that wasn't going to work and you have the Clippers who actually outscore the Nuggets 29-19 and if you watch the game it just kind of made sense based on an intensity defensively that I just don't think that Denver can match with the Clippers and George ended up again 32 but I thought his defense with Murray you're just seeing it differently it's it's a different thing where you know the other thing with Murray that we we can't forget when you're shooting let's look at some of these numbers here in those middle games 
Uh, he had 36 in game one against Utah, Murray 14, then 12. So six of 13 shooting five of 16 shooting. And then he goes absolutely crazy for 50 in the game four loss, but he was nine of 15 from three, then four of eight from three. And then the ultimate game there, where we went for 50 again in game six, which was still a good game. Uh, he was nine of 12. So if you're not, if you're putting up those kinds of numbers, you're screwing up everything everybody else wants to do defensively. Um, some of the Kawhi matchups with him, even though Kawhi had the block, the finger block that we're all seeing now uh, for the next 24 hours is a credible play. Uh, there's there's a little bit of conversation about actually how locked in Kawhi is defensively. And really the other problems the Clippers are having with some of the second unit stuff, but that was just more talent against, I think, predictable talent where despite Jokic's talent, um, and you know, the other thing I, I keep seeing the obsession with the corner three, the guys are passing up layups constantly. Jokic has a drive to the hoop and he's either going to get fouled or get the two and it's spot there where I think he would have with two cut it to two point game. Maybe they were down four, maybe they were down three, but we understand what we're talking about. Like it's going to make it a one possession, getting the two. And instead it's a kick out to Jeremy Grant for three. And despite some of the nights where Jeremy Grant uh, can have really good shooting nights where you're thinking, whoa, you're like what's going on here? I think Grant actually, let's see how he did in game three here. Yeah, he was terrible again. Okay, one of six from three. He misses a corner three in that spot. I almost wonder if they should take the three-point line and just have it just go to this, the sideline so there is no corner three. I'm serious. Like, what if you took the three-point line and just kept it at the top and then you run it into the out-of-bounds line so there's actually no corner three? Because it's too easy for some guys and it's also something people keep passing to and passing up layups where the, like the two point, it's like, man, two points. Ugh, I don't want two. Somebody's going to see me do that. That's not cool. Let me kick it out to a guy that shoots like 32%. Yeah, there we go. That was awesome. He missed it, but man, that was awesome. Um, so that, that happens there. A uh, couple other things. Just, I, I don't know. I look, I'm just incredibly impressed with Paul George. Kawhi's passing on some of the big man roles down there. I mean, Zubac is fighting his ass off the entire night. He fouls out, which was a terrible sixth call on him. Um, but we don't know. I mean, this is something Bill and I talked about on Sunday. Will we see the Clippers go, hey, we've got these guys, and then get run over in game four and act like you've been here before when when they haven't. But they do act like they've been there before when when certainly they haven't. So, all right. The other part is Boston and Toronto. That was ugly. Uh, it was basically like 28 at the half. Toronto had a weird 6-0 run. Felt like the announcers were acting like it was a 20-0 run. And then it got to 30 pretty quickly. One big thing from this and a couple small things. I'm never super comfortable. I'm not saying I'll never do it. But I'm less comfortable than others are when we talk about series or football games in particular. And just say, hey, this coach outcoached the other guy. I've read and seen, especially after game four, that Brad Stevens is running circles around, or excuse me, that Nick Nurse is running circles around Brad Stevens. Uh, Nick Nurse is probably considered the better coach, but Brad Stevens is a really good basketball coach. And to run circles around the other guy, like, do you actually know what that means? Because I don't know that I always know what it means. The fact that Jalen Brown doesn't get out on OG and an OB game three is it because they were in a zone, some form of zone? Well, it's still in a zone. It doesn't mean you just ignore people. It doesn't mean you ignore somebody flashing to the corner, but it was still a great play by Lowry. So I think it's great play by Lowry. OG hits the shot. Mistake by Jalen. Brad Stevens, to me, is, is the highest fourth on the list of culpability on that play. And then Toronto comes back. 
game four, hits more shots. Jalen Brown's terrible. Kemba only takes nine. So you have kind of the three guys that you're expecting something from Boston have their bad collective game. All right. So now it's 2-2. So what happened to the out-coach part? What happened to Brad Stevens having circles run around him when you're basically winning by 30 the entire time in game five? Why would you, if you're Toronto, want to get Siakam going offensively? Because you know what? It's a waste of time. It really is. And for all the Kyle Lowry love, um, and look, he's going to get into the Hall of Fame because the Hall of Fame for basketball is extremely welcoming. It's the place that doesn't have a line on a Friday night. But Lowry for the playoffs hasn't been great. He hasn't. Um, and I, I think because he's such a dominant force that's out there as far as like his his involvement involvement in every single play, we can overrate his actual impact in games. But he's 16, 6, and 6. Uh, he's not shooting it great for the playoffs. He's 40%. He's under 40% actually technically. And then he's 28.6% from three on six attempts. Gets to the free throw line, you know. He's shooting 80% there, which I thought would be a little higher. Uh, there are overall numbers for a lot of the Toronto players that aren't that great. Van Vliet's like just above average. If you look at the efficiency, Siakam's been a mess. Lowry's been about average. Uh, Marcus Saul has been terrible. Again, PER is not everything. He's a 6.85 PER right now in nine playoff games. And here's the rub for Toronto. I didn't think Gasol was a good matchup going back and watching regular season games against Boston. But what you want to do against Boston is you want to be big to punish the fact that they don't have bigs. Although the Rob Williams minutes have been promising in that it's an extra rotation player while Ennis Canner is tweeting uh, and not playing. Williams is out there actually playing and I think gives them a, just a different look that's more athletic and chase some things around. And he's got really good hands. Uh, the other thing with Robert Williams, too, if you watch him in college, he is actually like surprisingly good with basketball decisions. For a young player where you go, hey, young, big, you're like, no, he'll throw a couple passes every now and then you go, whoa, where the hell did that come from? So um, you want to be big against Boston, but the problem is when you're big with Gasol, who's been a mess. I mean, he's 0 for 10 for 3. I gave you the efficiency numbers. They're not very good. Serge is the guy that crushes Boston, but Serge does it more so offensively. But now you're going small and not exploiting the fact that Boston doesn't have this great front line. So... The whole thing you're supposed to do with Boston is beat up on their lack of bigs, but the problem is, is your big isn't giving you anything. He's actually giving you bad minutes, and the rest of the group collectively here in the playoffs hasn't really been terrific. And I think I know I at times I'm afraid of being critical of Toronto because I just get lumped in as, well, you're just not. And I'm like, well, look, the, the best player in the world maybe is out in L.A. now. So it shouldn't be as good, but they were so solid in the regular season. They were so good defensively, but maybe they're – you know, not not to freak out too much about a drubbing in Game Five, but I don't. Does anybody actually think Toronto's the better basketball team and just down three two after watching this first five? It it definitely look. It just doesn't feel that way. Just on the Lakers, what LeBron did at the start of that fourth quarter in Game Two was so impressive, and it's kind of lost in it. But when he decided, okay, enough of this crap, head down, transition, I'm going. That's what you have to do against Houston. You have to keep attacking. Uh, them and you actually when you get stuck in the half court maybe off of a make from them and Oklahoma City I don't know if they figured it out until it was too late and then they got away from it but the way Houston is matched up you know when you just see bodies in front of you as a, as a driver right if you're a driver creator a guy that tries to get to the hole but you just see bodies in front of you you're like ah 
But sometimes you have to actually force it. Now, you don't want to force it so much that it's just out of control all the time, like some of the stuff we see at Peak Westbrook, who's, by the way, some of these Westbrook numbers are awful. Um, but there are times where you'll see the, the Houston front, okay? There'll be three up top kind of in this zone. But, you know, Dan Tony's telling us it's man, but it has a zone look to it. So you just go, well, do I just force it and drive against this? I think you have to sometimes. I think you have to because some of these guys are a little upright, and even though they're strong, I think they're stronger when you're next to them as opposed to like their strength doesn't mean that much when it's in space. And at least in that transition stuff, the start of the fourth quarter, you could see LeBron. I mean, this is the part where you're like, okay, this guy is that smart as a basketball player. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm noticing little things. And his aggression really, I think, set the tone for them to be able to go ahead and win game two. But Houston's hanging in there. I'm going to leave you with this number. This is going to blow your mind. This isn't a stats, stats to impress other people. The Lakers on the regular season shot 34.9% from three. Houston shot 34.5. That surprised me because all we do, like Houston, man, just get it going from three. Yeah, they'll take a million of them, but they're actually not some lights out team. It's just the efficiency of the attempts. It's just keep taking more and more and more. And as Daryl Morey once said, he wanted with his G League team, he's like, I would, I would love, I don't know where he did this interview, but I knew it made it, it, it got out there where he wanted every shot to be a three pointer for the G League team just to kind of see what, how it all worked. Let's talk to Chris Long. Before we do that, we want to remind you that Ryan Rosilla Pod is brought to you by FanDuel. We're teaming up with FanDuel again with football season, but we've got something new this time around. All season long, you can play free ringer mega contest. That's right. The free ringer mega contest on FanDuel. Here's how it works. Just pick five NFL games, okay, against the spread, including one double down pick. Hey, okay? double down. Get one point for every correct pick, okay? And two, if you hit your double down pick, okay, FanDuel will add up your score every week. Just finish in the top 100 on the season long leaderboard to make the playoffs and compete for a share of $25,000. Okay, that is absolutely layup participation. Okay, five games, one double down, add up the points. Um, they're asking me if I have any locks. Week one, uh, week one was always a terrible week for us when we were younger. Because you're just coming in, you're like, are you kidding me? Miami at New England? Pats are going to house some culture. And you're like, oh, wait, New England doesn't have anyone to throw to again this year? I thought they tried that last year. How did that go? <laughs> uh, let's see here. You know what I like? Give me Cleveland at Baltimore plus nine. Yeah, there you go. There's one. We'll do one every week, all right? That's just too many points. You sound, Kyle, you sound like you're not writing that one down. I think I you don't think like Cleveland... my. I think they could get dismantled. No? I don't know. Dismantled? I just, I'm not the guy with the mic. I just think it's a huge number for week one, despite... Yeah. This is... This line last year would have been pick em with the same right. exact teams right. because right. of the love for Cleveland and not quite understanding how dynamic Lamar is. So, um, I know everybody likes Baltimore's defense. I know that they have more weapons to throw. Lamar will be better, even if it's not statistically as good. Uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and do that. Because I bet you a lot of people are laying the five and a half with Buffalo against the Jets. It's kind of a weird number in there. Um, that's one of those where you feel like at the end of the game, you're in control, you're in control, and then the Jets like kick a field goal so they can do it on sides. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> you know, we won by four. Why did that happen? Uh, well, they probably wouldn't kick a field goal if they were down seven. 
So, yeah, all right. Give me Just give me um, the too many points in Baltimore. You know what I probably should do is I'll put a little more into it. We'll go with the fade the public Van Pelt approach, and we'll just pick one, and it's going to be disgusting and gross. And by the way, like Van Pelt never got – he never got killed uh, any year doing that. He never had a year where it was awful. Um, he beat me – we did it six years. He beat me four of the six years. I did a 20 Ivy League picks, I think, back-to-back weeks at one point trying to catch him, and, and I couldn't. Okay, so there you go. Um Play the Ringer Mega Contest for free every week, only on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com Mega Contest. So that's FanDuel.com slash Mega Contest to make your picks today. That is FanDuel.com forward slash Mega Contest. Okay, my next guest, we've known him a long time. You may have seen him. Uh, well, his dad was on Network of the Battle of the Network Stars and his many radio hits on first and last on ESPN radio. It's, it's Chris long. How are you? What an intro. I can't stop laughing at the idea of Will Ferrell introducing Jerry Seinfeld and be like, <laughs> you know him from the Arsenio hall show. And he did it at this, this comedy tribute thing. And he didn't know if Jerry was going to like it or not. And he tells the story on the Conan O'Brien pod and the Farrell Conan thing is unbelievable. And I just, every now and then I try to do that with one of you guys. Cause look, it's, it's not. I feel like Jerry would be scary to, to try to tell a joke to or at. Well, that was exactly Will Farrell's point. Like here's Will Farrell, who's kind of the most normal, super famous guy going, but he was like, I don't know if he's going to think this is funny. Cause he was yeah, kind of doing no. this Ron Burgundy thing. And he's like, I'm basically just going to, introduce him from all this stuff that's really not about his success like i'm supposed to interview you know two-time super bowl champ and instead yeah. i'm going like yeah. you may have seen him on the breakout youtube channel um <laughs> you know what you got to watch is between two ferns zach does a terrific job of introing people on that show obviously he's over the top but yeah no terrific. that that whole thing's terrific but yeah farrell actually tells conan o'brien in the interview he goes i was kind of like I don't know how he's going to take this, but F it. Fuck yeah. I'm just doing it. Yeah, I'm just I'm doing it. And then he, said he, he ran into him after. I think the story goes is that he liked it. But uh, more importantly, Chris, uh, played in the NFL a long time. And tell us what you're doing over at uh, Chalk and also the Greenlight Pod, which has been blowing up. Yeah, I mean, blowing up is a relative term, but we have some, some faithful subscribers. Uh, check us out, Greenlight Pod. We're doing uh, division previews right now. Real point of difference. I'm sure no one else is doing that. Uh, but we're doing division previews, and we've had some great guests, actually. I'm excited. Uh, we've got Steven Jackson, Mina Kimes on the on the West preview coming up, and maybe one more. So we're rolling, man. Steven Jackson was one of your dudes, right? Definitely one of my dudes. I own a painting by Steven Jackson. Uh, I went to an <laughs> art show. Is it good? In LA. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's not uh, a stapler or anything, is it? No, it's like a it's like a mixed media piece. So I, I probably offended. I don't want to offend Steve, but yeah, it's not a painting. It's mixed media, and it's like mm. one of these Greek gods decapitating somebody, holding somebody's de- decapitated head. Um, and so some for the kids. Well, it says, yeah, I got to put it in like the man cave. He, he says it reminds him of his mindset on the field. And I said, well, that makes sense. Yeah, because he was uh, not the prototypical running back body, but I loved him at Oregon State. <laughs> loved him, and he was so upright. I don't know. I, I, I look. I, I, he probably do better now because he's bigger than a lot of the defensive backs who be trying to tackle him. But that would not be the way you would think he would run. And when he was on, 
Well, he was an angrier Derrick Henry. No kidding. I mean, I listen, he did what Derrick Henry did on a you know, Derrick Henry had a hell of a year last year, but Steven Jackson in situations that were not ideal was doing Derrick Henry things for the better part of a decade. And unfortunately, he's one of those guys that playing for the St. Louis Rams, he never got their due. Okay, let's uh let's do that then. We we've spent a lot of time talking about these different things and I always enjoy your perspective kind of from a storytelling um, angle and we'll go over a bunch of stuff. We're just going to kind of talk NFL here as we get ready for the season. But all those years you were St. Louis and you've pointed it out more than anybody else has, you just didn't have great teams coming out. What's the difference of your mindset getting ready for week one? And I'm sure there are times where you know exactly who the team is. There's other times you may think you know, and then you're surprised, but you then end up in New England and Philly later on. Give me kind of entering week one going, we might suck versus, yeah. wow, we have a real chance to do something special. Well, it's funny. I have like a PhD in this. I've been on teams yeah. that were, were awful, and I could take you through it. I mean, there's three tiers. I would look at it like they're the teams that have no shot, and whether you know it or not, like if you're green like me when I came in the league, like I should have read the room. Some of those <laughs> veterans who were real pissy day one, uh, they were all piled up on the St. Louis Rams, like guys that are just they've, – they've gone there to retire or play it out. I should have read the room there. I've, I've been on teams in the middle, like, you know, the Fisher Rams, where every year you're like, I don't know wh- which way this is going. And I've been on teams that were damn good, and you knew it. Um, the thing about the Eagles team in 2017 is we did not know we'd be that good. We were supposed to be a team that was, like, lower middle. I think the biggest difference as you go through all those, those, those classes of teams is if you're on a really good team, you look at the schedule and you say, where could we lose? And if you're on a really bad team, you look at the schedule and say, where can we win one game? Uh, and if you're in the middle, you say, you, you add up your wins. You play this game and you're adding them up. And you're like, oh, it looks like we got seven here. But maybe we can get to nine if we win. Are you game. serious? Like, I always thought that was the worst segment in radio history when I just go through and be like, all right, Colts week four, win, Chargers, <laughs> add Chargers week five you know, bounces the right win, you know, cause like the home guys always go, I, I got 12 and four, maybe 11 and five, but probably 12 and four. Would you guys do that? That seems uh, I would do it with a little schedule card that would come home on the, you can't blame me. The one, the thing you put on the refrigerator, you know, like I would just stare at it. So you can't blame me. The way I came in the league was I came into, you know, the league on a team that was talk about tanking in Jacksonville. We were worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be this year in, in, in 2008 in St. Louis. I mean, this was bad. Um, I mean, bad like the first game of the season. I went back and looked because we were talking about this earlier, um, and I had a feeling we might hit it. 2008, we lose 38-3 to in my first NFL game to the Eagles, uh, coincidentally. Very good football team, very big wake-up call for me in the lane. Okay, real quick, did you come out of the tunnel thinking you had a chance? I don't remember what I thought. It, when you're a rookie, you know, uh, in, the, in the words of what's-his-name in Tropic Thunder, it's just survive. Uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr., it's, it's just survive, man. Like, so I'm not, thinking, I'm not thinking selfishly, but I'm not really thinking about what our outlook to win the NFC West was. And then the next year, 28 to nothing. I forgot. Must have blacked this game out. This is a Jim Mora Seahawks team that we got beat 28 to nothing by. They turned the ball over three times and we lost 28 to nothing. So those were the types of teams that I was on early in my career. Um, And then you transition to the Fisher years um, where we had years where we thought we were good and Sam Bradford gets rolled up on in Cleveland the third game in preseason. And you go from high, high hopes to 
oh my God, it's happening again. Kellen Clemens, Austin Davis, probably six and 10 at best. And, and, and that's the way it goes. The frustrating thing has to be keeping that like you're almost better off being dumb in the beginning and not knowing any better versus actually knowing, okay, this is real. Like we're not any good. Um, I don't even know if there's really a follow up there. I just, no, I mean, but you're right. I mean, and and that's one of the keys is like when you're young and you end up on a bad team, you're not cynical yet. And, you know, the cynicism that my vets passed on to me early in my career, the callousness of a James Hall who plays his whole career in Detroit only to end up in St. Louis and has got 60 career sacks and nobody's heard of him, but he's dealt with this bullshit for a decade. Like that kind of callousness serves you well in your career, but you can't overdose on it. You know, it's, it's one of those things is like when you get to a good team, it's expectations. It's, uh, it's hey, like when we were in the Super Bowl against the Falcons 28 to three, I was the last guy that thought we would have come back because I've never been down 25 points and saw anything but the lead grow to 40. <laughs> I mean, it's just what you're conditioned to deal yeah, with. Yeah. Right. Uh, I can only imagine like old guys on a team and you're excited and you're young and you're green <laughs> and, and you're all that stuff. And then like he's telling you, I remember there was this Clipper story. I don't know if it was Baron Davis or it might've been Andre Miller. It was one of the guards and they were, they were at some event. And then somebody said like, Hey, are you going to do this? They're like, well, who's it for? Like, it's for the Clippers. Like we don't do shit for the Clippers. Like, and they were on the team. Yeah. Like that's, that's probably not what you're looking for in a leadership role. I forget what the story is, but I'm essentially paraphrasing like at a time and a place was like, we're not doing anything for the Clippers. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that can be, I mean, can, can you even as a young guy, because you're a very positive guy, can you as a young yeah. guy say to an older guy, hey, we don't need this shit right now. We're one and four and let's turn this thing around. But that guy's already 10 years in going, it's, hey, it's, it's a check. Yeah, right. He can't. You but can't but talk also, it's him. not like these vets ever shorted on effort. They played pissed off. They played cool. to support their families. And that's the thing about like talking about Jacksonville and tanking. And they're a young team. They're very young. So there's a, which, which is even more unpredictable this year because you don't have a real look at guys in preseason. So you don't know how bad they could be or you don't know how surprisingly good they could be. But it's good for them that they're young because there's no kind of negativity, like too cool for school of like an older vet who's like, hey, Rook, calm the fuck down. We're going to be bad here. We're going to set our jaw and just play. Now, they never said that explicitly, but if, again, if I could have read the room, if me with my 35 year old knowledge could have gone back, you know, in, in Earth City, Missouri in 2008, I would have been able to read the room and say, hey, these vets are miserable. I mean, this isn't going to be good. Okay. So then give me breaking camp with New England or Philly when again, you know it's. Yeah. Breaking camp with New England is, is one of those things where it's like, I'm trying to keep up with a program that, that, is, has been self-sufficient. So I come in and I, when I was on the Rams, you know, I was one of the main dudes on the team and I'm sitting there and, and thinking to myself, like, it's, it's super important. We turn the corner. Uh, I'm one of the highest paid guys. I'm internalizing them. I'm making it personal, but you go to new England, it takes the pressure off you. It really does. The first time in my career, I didn't feel the pressure of the team and I didn't feel pressure as an individual. I just had to, you know, not to be fucking corny here, but do my job. And, uh, did you get a do your job hoodie when you get there? You do get like, do your job, like towels and stuff like that. Yeah. That's awesome. The kids and that sort of thing. But I, I, when you're on new England, again, you look at the schedule and you say, where could we possibly lose? Like when, when I was on the Patriots that, that, that one year 
at different times, you're like, are we a team that could go undefeated? Like, I've never been a part of something like this. It's so overwhelming to all of a sudden just drop in on a situation like that. You almost have to to check yourself at the door and say, I'm not going to get carried away with this thing and keep it simple. Now, Philly, we didn't know we were good. We went out to uh, Kansas City in the heat. The, you know, Cream Hunt, um, Patrick Mahomes, they scored probably 40 points on us and they gashed us. And if you remember, that team was supposed to be a bottom 10 team. When you're on a team like that, that's going to surprise people, it's like a bunch of whispers. You know, it's people around, like, as an older guy, I would ask somebody in the front office who I trust would shoot me straight. Like, I'd never ask these questions as a young guy. Are we good this year? As you get older, you get more established, you can ask those questions. And you know who to ask. You'd ask three, four kind of senior executive type people. You'd ask older guys on the team. And they'd kind of whisper, yeah, I think we're pretty fucking good. But you don't say it out loud. You don't say it out loud until probably the, the middle of the season. And that's when you know. The workplace part of it as a pro athlete is, is really interesting to all of us on the outside in that when you're good and, you, and we hear about leaders, and there's a lot of cliche stuff that we all fall for because we want to believe that it's this thing where guys are just walking around the hallway being like, yeah, you're the man. No, you're the man. Like, oh, it's just so positive. And yeah, then if it's exactly bad, right. yeah, right. When it's bad, it's, it's terrible. What's real about, I, I guess the, the thing is, I feel like your answer is going to be like, it really is a job. You show up, you put your stuff on, and then you go hit, and then you go home. That there isn't this collegial atmosphere around a team. No. That, that, that this, this, this culture and all these things that everybody wants to sell us from the inside, which is really, I always feel like, this compliment about the organization. The organization is basically complimenting themselves yeah. about all of these special things that may not be real. So what's real about the 9-to-5 part of being an NFL player? Well, it's different. Immediately, everybody has families. So like when you're in college, you're thick as thieves. Like you do not spend an hour of the day not around each other. You know, like as an older dude, you make decisions on dinner every night with your wife. And it's just like something you deal with. It's not a house <laughs> vote or anything? No, I mean, like you, you get your vote, but you read the dissatisfaction. I mean, Grubhub <laughs> only has so many options in a pandemic. So uh, and my lovely wife, Meg, she, she does a terrific job of selecting, uh, you know, dinner dinners that that suit me just fine but <laughs> i will say like when you're a college athlete you make those decisions together like you go get pizza together you go get, like do this together you go to class together there's just a very and everybody's the same age four years is not that much different i'm all of a sudden in the locker room as a 23 year old kid and Derek barnett when he's 19 20 years old when he comes in the nfl with guys who are 14 15 years a senior that have you know kids in high school you know, like it's just a big difference. And so when the building empties out, everybody goes their separate ways. There's not a lot of guys, guys hang out in like little pods, right? They do big dinners and that sort of thing. Like as the season gets going, but you got little groups of friends, uh, you know, and on a good team, you do have that college kind of atmosphere in spurts, but you just don't have it all the time. Before we start talking specific teams and, and stuff for this year, I, I just want one more follow-up because I know when I ask, um, you know, basketball people about this, be like, well, you know, you'll hear open door policy. You can go in and you can talk to your coach at any given time. The problem is, is if there's somebody who, you know, doesn't maybe deserve the minutes that he thinks he deserves and it's an open door policy, he's like, now I got to talk to you and explain why you're not getting minutes every, every day, every other day. Yeah. yeah. How do coaches meetings work with somebody like you towards your veteran run where what they, what do they ask you specifically? Cause I think all of us, again, on the yeah. outside would be like, say you guys didn't have a great Sunday. Be like, Hey, Chris, get the guys together and do yeah. all this kind of stuff. I imagine that's not what really happens or maybe bad coaches have done that. Give me an example of something that actually was impactful and maybe surprising to the, to those of us that have never done it 
uh, and understanding what a coach's meeting would be like with a player like you? Well, there's always like a leadership council on most teams, whether that's voted by the players or it's selected by the coaches or it's some mixture of the two. Uh, I've been on a few of them. Um, and sometimes like you, you almost have to take that responsibility very carefully. Like you can't go up there and just nod your head. And you can't do that as a leader on a team for a couple of reasons. Number one, the guys who are not in that meeting have to know that you're a real guy. Um, you can't be a, a, a do boy. You can't be a coach's dude. You know, I've actually, and I've had a few coaches in the NFL, so I won't say who this was, but I had one coach who, who approached me about basically being his upstairs guy and teams have upstairs guys. Some pretty much every team has Snitches, a guy, right? You know, like, yeah, like kind of a snitch. Like, I don't want to say like, a you know, a dry snitch at the very least. Right. And I don't know if I just got approached because of an assumption or because of, you know, my leadership um, reputation or whatever, but that's never been so I've, I've always resisted that. And when you go up there in the leadership council, you have to have all the guys backs who aren't in the room, but also if there's eight, 10 guys on the leadership council. And when coach says something that we were all bitching about before he walks in the, in the room at <laughs> eight in the morning and everybody gets fucking quiet. I, I've been in situations where I looked around at the leadership council. Like, are you guys, are you guys not going to say anything? Like, how, how? what's the point of this council? So I would try to, to go out of my way to air shit out because, you know, it earns the respect of the dudes in the leadership council and it speaks for the guys outside. And if nobody's going to say anything, nothing gets done. Um, and, and what's worse than not having a leadership council is having one that's just an echo chamber for the coach. Okay, final follow-up on that. And then we'll get to, I want to do some Cam Newton in the past thing. Over your career of the guys that you were teammates with, who do you think when you talk about like going upstairs, who do you think was the most bitch made? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love I love that. I was like racking my brain answer like a serious question. This wasn't in the rundown. It's uh, also no. it is like when you're a I'm team kidding, captain or you're a leader, you have yeah. you have to go out of your way to like make it like, dude, I'm not that guy. Now you, you gotta be with the players, even if the players are wrong sometimes, you know? Yeah, sometimes like, you do. You, you gotta the last thing you want to do is have all this. Obviously, I know from all my years. Um, okay, let's talk <laughs> Cam Newton. Let's talk Cam because there's there's one thing that's happening that I love is that everybody that was a, a Pats fan that loved the Patriot way, loved all this stuff. Yeah. Like they've bought into all the Cam stuff now because he's wearing a Pats jersey. When if it goes south, they're going to hate all of, you know, look, he has a different approach um, to, to how his personality just he's i mean he's got swagger man he's got he's got swagger and anybody that plays with anybody that plays with cam will tell you he's like a different dude in a good way i mean like he's just different everybody likes him but he's different he, you know even among alphas and i i think uh so keep, how does it work I, I i i think you just keep well for a fan it just depends as you mentioned on the outcome you know they're going to be like the, the well, same of course, people that right. are like i can't stand him dancing and fucking in fucking stretch they're all excited about the juice he's bringing to the pats offense well this looks good this is different and in 6 months if it doesn't go well they'll be right back on the other side of it but he's not I a patriot ever, uh, yeah no he's not he was never a patriot that was the thing he was never a patriot never really a patriot never felt like he's a real never, patriot he's never a pat um, juice and life. Those are the words I keep hearing though, from players up there. Um, you know, that's not, this is not a comparative thing between him and Tom Brady at, at no point, unless maybe like Bill heaping praise on him is like a little twist the knife thing to Tom or a competitive jab, like a mind game. Like I've never praised you overtly in years, but now I'm doing it with camp, that bit of gamesmanship in that interesting relationship. But 
there's no personality issue right now as far as the fit up there. Guys love him. Uh, and I think Bill and him have a lot in common. They're both trying to prove something this year in a big way. Um, and I think they take it way more internally than, you know, the third party in this whole conversation in Tom Brady. Tom wants to win. I think Bill wants to win to spite Tom Brady. And that's not to say he doesn't like him or that relationship was bad, but his legacy uh, hinges on, on this. And I think if Cam's healthy, this is a team that's going to be in the playoffs. No kidding, because so many projections have them as a bad team. And I don't know if it's just the math off of what Cam wasn't last year because of injury. But there's something you said, though, too, that I think is really important to point out, is that Bill actually does let you be yourself. Like If he thinks yes. you're going to come and play ball, this the Patriot way thing and everybody being of the same mindset, there were stretches there long before you got there where everybody was saying the same thing over and over again because those guys all kind of came up together. But if you really yeah. pay attention to like some of the different things they've done over the years, like they're bringing in all sorts of people. So the idea that like Cam, just because he was different and the swagger and Pipes the outfits, and weird fonts. Yeah, right. Like, I don't know. I can't read any of that stuff. So no, you know, he's not going to follow either, but I yeah, don't give a perfect. fuck. And you play football. That's what Bill's yeah. all about. Like, there's a sliding scale. Like, the Patriot way is as much a misnomer as, like, you know, um, the Patriot way. The Patriot way on the field, the identity they have on the field, the, the thing that people, you know, they're so, they have one way of doing things. Like, we've talked about this. They, they will be whoever they have to be to beat you. And they'll accommodate anybody they have to accommodate to win. Like, that's the thing. It's not, it's not as cut and dry football or personality wise as people want to make it out to be. And by the way, um, I'm excited to see Josh McDaniels and what he can do with Cam. Josh has evolved so much as a coach, as a play caller. And, you know, he's always had kind of one type of guy. So I'm excited about that. You think Cam's worried about wide receiver help? You know where he just came from? You think he's worried about the O-line? Whatever he's dealing with in New England will be better. What I actually worry about is the defense. You're worried about the defense. Now, remember last year, the run it was on was, was this unprecedented historical run. When you and I were doing the pot every week, I think we were both of the mindset, like, these numbers are really great, but it still doesn't feel like this is that yeah. number one overall defense that it ends up being. I think we, we were always saying we were, we were good on this. We, we, were, yeah, this we right. were early on that. We, we were early on that, and it felt like we were just trying to beat a dead horse for a while, and eventually the dam broke. Yeah, and they, they've gone up against, like, an awful run of quarterbacks, and you just kept looking at San Francisco's personnel. I would watch Niners games and go, I'd want all that personnel instead of New England's personnel. Yeah. Not, to, not that I was dumping on New England's personnel, but I just think that's how special the front here's is where, there here's where New England was. Here's where New England was really good, as we know. It was, it was the defensive secondary. I mean, such a good group, and it started with Stephon Gilmore. Now, he's still there. That's going to allow them to be competitive. Now, when I say I'm worried about the defense, I don't mean they're going to be bad. I'm just saying readjust your expectation of how they win games. Last year, you were like, oh, they can win a game 17-10. They can win it, you know, 15-8, like weird scores, low scores. They can't bank on that every week. Think of the guys that, that moved on and, and no more important than Dante Hightower with the opt-out. I mean, that guy's the second most important leader on that team, you could argue, uh, and one of the best football players I've ever played with. He's kind of the heart and soul. Gilmore might be more important from a schematic standpoint, but Hightower is the heartbeat. You still got McCourty. Uh, you lose you lose Chung. That's a big deal. They ask him to do so many different things. Collins, Deron Harmon. I like some of the pieces. I'm not saying they're going to be bad, but I'm just saying worry a little more than people are worrying currently about the defense and just realize they're going to be pretty good offensively. I think they're going to be creative. Yeah, opt-out week is almost lost in the amount of news that we can't keep up with, but there was a stretch there for the Patriots. Like, whoa, what's going yeah. on? Um, 
and it was just it was just like wait a minute every day there's a new name here but you just said you think they're going to the playoffs if Cam's healthy so it doesn't well, sound like you're beating up on the defense at all so no I mean I, I here's what I'll here's what I'll say if Cam's healthy and um you know he 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 hasn't been lately I think that you know there's this there's always a polarized battle on Cam and I'm in the middle on Cam you know <laughs> and people want to pull you to one direction or the other I I uh I think if he's healthy, he gives him a shot, and it'll be fun. And I think right there at the end, them and Buffalo will be battling for that division. But the way the playoff thing is scheduled or is is laid out now, you just never know. I think there could be I, – I was talking about the AFC South. I think there could be three teams that make the playoffs uh, out of that division. Okay. Are you tired of being the go-to guy on the Carson Wentz stuff? <laughs> Isn't that Dan Orlovsky now? Yeah, you just don't have as much um... – as, as much airtime as Orlovsky. So no, uh, he, and, he's and become, he's definitely the captain of, of team Wentz, but yeah, I'm like a role player. Yeah. I'm a role player. I'm one that the, the fans in Philly like, but of course, uh, when I build a shrine to Nick Foles, everybody told me I hated Carson Wentz. So, uh, you can't have it both ways, folks. I will say like, you know, have the, you talked to Foles since Mitch won the job? I haven't talked to him since Mitch won the job, but I, I think, I don't know what you think here, but, they didn't have a choice in my opinion. Because yeah. That's how it felt. Seriously. I think you're right there. You've got it. You've got to exhaust all options on that commodity. Yeah. And and that's not going to take all year. I know some people are like, well, you don't, if you want to win, you got to make it. You can make that decision in a couple of weeks, but once you go to Nick, you can't go back to Mitchell Trubisky. So, but with Carson, I do think this is a must win year for him. I'm not saying he's got to win the Super Bowl. He's got to win a playoff game. Um, whether it's fair, unfair, whether they put him in a terrible situation last year, you know, he, he might've thrown for 4,000 yards last year, which made history. I mean, he, he was throwing to guys who don't even have program pictures. I was calling them shadow guys in the program. You've never heard of these guys, even though he's immensely talented MVP type year in his, in his recent history, even if he started 16 games uh, and got hurt on a dirty play, he has to win a playoff game this year. That's 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 it. That's the end of story. Next year he's gonna make thirty-five million dollars. After that, they have an opt-out. So the Heat's only gonna get you know turned up even more. And it it started off as a shit show again in Philly this year with the injuries. When I was going through my Super Bowl picks, and you're gonna have those on your green light pod coming up the end of the week, right? Friday. Uh, Looks I'll like you, it. Looks I'll give like you it. mine. <laughs> I'm still not sure what I want to do on the NFC, but I always look Seattle because of Russell Wilson and my love yeah. for him as a player. And you look at the Jamal Adams trade and you go, okay, you know, Adams, Adams is this stud. Anybody that watches him realizes he's a stud. Uh, I do think I'm going to ask you this. We, sometimes we feel like we're in the same generation. There's other times where there's little gaps between you and our buddies when we're, we're yeah. texting about something and I'll be like, oh, this is where old Ryan checks in. But this generation that's even younger than you basically feels empowered. If you're not having a great day at work, let everybody know about it. <laughs> And it's yeah, not, yeah. it's not weird to do that. Like, I think Joel Embiid tweeting how mad he is watching Jimmy Butler go off is actually kind of lame that you would be doing that at your own front office, even though, yes, I get it as the player, you're more important. And Jamal Adams went on a tear for a year plus acting as if like he couldn't be bothered with all the attention. And clearly he loved all the attention. So now that he's actually out and nobody really wants to defend the Jets, so I'm not doing that. But now that he's with Seattle, a pass defense that I really, the more it's easy for me to forgive because it's not like I'm constantly locked into Seahawks stuff. Their pass defense has been at best average the mm. last few years. And to add somebody like Adams, who looks 
almost more like a, a line support guy than somebody that's returning and running down the field at everybody, even though it seems like he can do anything. What kind of impact can one player like that make in the defensive backfield? Well, I don't think we're as far off as you think we are on the on the generational gap on on this one. I, I listen. I love watching Jamal Adams play, and the guy love wants to get play. paid. I, I, yeah. He wants to get paid. Everybody in the NFL wants to get him paid. I have a personal friend in 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 New York, in Joe Douglas, who I think the world of. And you know, my only thing that I didn't agree with is generally when somebody like drags Joe Joe Douglas in per, in in public, I'm like, eh, I, I don't. It, it just like. That's just me personally. That's why I might have to recuse myself from this conversation about Jamal and Joe and the Jets. I think both teams can win this trade, though. I really do. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind the Jets moving on from somebody who just was going to be that difficult about all the time. And it just, I, you know, who am I? Well, I hate, it when, I hate it when somebody, somebody makes a stink. Then you trade them, and then people are like, "You really traded away your best player." I'm like, <laughs> "You're like, have you been paying attention the last year?" He doesn't want to play here, <laughs> right. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, as fans, you're always like, "I don't want guys that don't want to play." What about when a guy tells you that he doesn't want to play here? You just get him out of there, and you wish him the best. And like, you know, um, I do think Seattle is, is going to get a lot out of this trade. I mean, the the, the safety group's really strong. You know, you've got Diggs. Uh, I also like a bunch of guys in the secondary Dunbar, Trey flowers. Now they're going to have to cover all day, um, because of the, the pass rush situation. Although on record, I do want to say, I really like the Tennessee rookie they got, uh, at, at, at end. And I think Bruce Irvin will be fine. They're, they're going to have crowd noise there. They're going to be turning up the speakers. Bruce is a crowd noise guy. Um, and I like, um, I like, what's his name? Jaron Reed. I like Jaron Reed a lot. So, you know, like there's going to be sh- there's, it's not as bad as you think defensively for Seattle. And they've never paid rushers. They let Clowney go. That didn't surprise me. But can you imagine if they had Jamal Adams and Jadavian Clowney on the same defense this year with Russell on the other side of it, keeping you in every, every ball game? I mean, that would be an exciting defense to watch. Okay, would you rather have – and maybe we'll do a little bit of this because I, I think what you were saying there led to this perfectly. You're like, hey, let's not always focus on the secondary personnel. Let's look at the guys up front. Um, would you rather have Clowney for a year or Adams for a year? Say the money's even. Depends on the team. You know, I, I think that with Seattle, they have – now they've had really good D-lines, but when it comes to the, you know, letting people walk, they let Frank Clark walk. Um, it's, there's, there's a precedent here that they think – you know, we can get it done uh, with a strong secondary and with, and we'll, we'll bank on the fact that Russ is going to win us nine games on his own. Um, I think they're going to be very good. I actually like him to, to, to win the division that having said that I'd rather have Jamal Adams on that team, but like Tennessee, I love them going out to get clowny. I, I just, I, I love it. It makes them a top 10 run defense uh, type team. It's more physicality. It's, it's the Houston fit um, with Vrabel. It's just – and they need – sprinkle some pass rush in. He's the most interesting free agent to me because he made bigger splashes than better players. He's so polarizing, and people are so curious how a guy can demand so much defensive attention, and it turns the sack thing on its head. You know what I mean? So Clowney is so interesting. Had, had they both been on the same defense, it would have been great, but they – you know, we didn't, we're not going to get it. Would you rather have – on any team, well, I guess, you know, you answer this how you want to answer it. Again, money, even one year, Stephon Gilmore or Nick Bosa? Oh, Gilmore. 
Gilmore, well, you saw okay, you saw what Gilmore did for guys who weren't winning a lot of one-on-one rushes. Do you see those Patriots sack numbers? I can make a bad rusher good with good coverage. Um, yeah. Now I'm not saying across the board. I'm I'm like, hey, I'm always going to take a corner over an end. Uh, Nick Bosa had eight and eight and a half sacks on a really good group. Um, I, I'm yet to see him rush, and I could say this about a number of guys in the league with quicker shot clocks. And I, I think you know Gilmore does so much for you, as you saw in New England. He unlocked like another tier for them. I'd rather have a corner like that. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I'm not surprised that you said that. I'm just trying to think of, like, who's your favorite edge guy right now? Whew, my favorite edge guy. I mean, uh, do you have how much time you got? Uh, let me let me just open my Google window and because I, I I don't want to disrespect anybody. Um, <laughs> Should I not? No, it's not like I know you. I shouldn't put you on the spot like this just because I know that your personality. You don't want to leave anybody out. And and have you feel like you were sliding him or anything like that? No, you know what I I, I you know who I love I, I love I love Joey Bosa. I mean I really do. Um, he's got all the tools in his toolkit. Uh, he just got paid, and everybody was like, you know, he's not even the best one. I I really do think he's still the best rusher uh, out of those two. I and I and I love Nick's game. Um, it felt was, like Nick overtook him though in that. You seem to resist it, but it just felt like because San Francisco was better and the defense was so good that Nick started getting more love than Joey. Well, it's fun. It's funny that, you know, I did Amazon last year. Um, I did the, the Thursday night show and I was raising. I, I made, I made sure there was a Nick Bosa segment one night before it got like really <laughs> hot and heavy with the national media thing, because he had this game against the Steelers. And I forget how many sacks he had, but he could have had five times that many sacks. He was running through Villanueva like I've never seen somebody run through. Who's a very good player. Um, and, and I said, we got to roll the tape of this guy, man. Like, we're going to judge him off sacks. And people are not going to realize how good he is. And then it swung the other way a little bit. Um, I think Joey is one of the best rushers in the league. I love Chubb's game as far as young guys. Chubb is a fucking bully, dude. And if he can get healthy, that duo is going to be great. I love Zadarius Smith. Um, the Smith you know, brothers. The Smith brothers. <laughs> no, I, I, I miss the Smith brothers, uh, Alden and, and, uh, and, and uh, Justin. But, yeah, I mean, like, I could go on and on about pass rushers. I love pass rushers, man. Josh Allen, the poor guy. The fact that Josh Allen is down there in Jacksonville, when somebody says Josh Allen anywhere else in the country, people are like, who, the Buffalo quarterback? Josh Allen is a fucking nightmare down there in Jacksonville, and nobody's going to watch him play. It's a shame. We go more with Chris Long here in a moment, but first, our good friends at Raising Cane's. You know what makes an athlete an all-star? Focus and dedication. The same goes for chicken fingers. No, really, hear me out, all right? My friends over at Raising Cane's are focused on serving the highest quality, best-tasting chicken finger meals every time. It's literally all they do, and you can taste the difference in every bite. I cannot emphasize that enough. All the different stuff. And talking to Todd Graves over the years, hey, how do you do it? What was the plan? Well, we could have done this. We're going to do this. We just wanted to make the best chicken finger ever, and they did it. They're unbelievable. Each chicken finger is marinated, hand-battered, and cooked to golden brown perfection. They're served with their secret cane sauce, and this stuff is next level, tangy with a little bit of spice and full of flavor. You'll be dipping your chicken fingers in it along with those crispy, crinkle-cut fries and garlicky, buttery 
Texas toast. It's so good. Um, and the fries are good, too. A lot of places be like, hey, you know what's really good is this one thing, and then this other thing isn't as good. You know what? I like their fries, but I don't like their mains. Well, look, main sides. We're not talking Dayton. We're talking chicken fingers here. Uh, and don't forget about the coleslaw. It's crunchy and creamy and made fresh daily. And top it off with freshly squeezed lemonade or a freshly brewed iced tea. Like I said, all-star. Um, I love their chicken fingers. Love, love, love. When I go to Baton Rouge, it's on. And uh, I don't really have much else to say. I, I'm 100% into their chicken fingers. They're terrific. Visit RaisingCanes.com to find the restaurant nearest you and see for yourself. That's RaisingCanes.com. Maybe a road trip with you and the kids. You know, maybe one's 30 minutes away. Trust me on this. Tell them Todd Graves sent you. I don't think you're supposed to do that. You can tell them I sent you, but it's not going to do anything other than probably a confused look from a teenager with red hair going, cool. All right. There you go. Bill Belichick, does he steal iced tea? We'll ask Chris Long. Is there... Okay, give me this. Give me somebody who's still playing that you watched on film and then you got out on the field and you went, okay, wait a minute. This is different. This isn't the guy I saw on tape. Well, I mean... And make it negative. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. no. <laughs> like, there's, you know there's, slow as hell? There's one guy that... God rest his soul, Tavares Jackson um, was. Oh, a quarterback. When wow. people ask me, I, I just this. this dude is 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 made of concrete. He, you know, you could not bring him down. He was the toughest sack in the NFL. One time, I slid down his leg like you know, it was a fire pole. Um, you know, like, and I just hung on until the ref blew the whistle. I'm like clutching his ankle, just hoping somebody gets there. He doesn't throw the ball. I just remember thinking. Holy shit, how has nobody ever told me, warned me that Tavares Jackson is made of concrete? Clowney is a guy who we just talked about. I didn't have to play against him, but walking by him at midfield after a game, I said, this guy's a fucking avatar. I get it. I, I know why he's different than me. Like, he's just different than me. And, you know, I'm up, I'm up at his, like, clavicle, dapping him up and telling him good game. It was like, you know, a child and an adult. Um, yeah, Michael Turner was one that I was shocked how short he was, but he was the hardest tackle in the NFL up there with Marshawn Lynch. I mean, you just bounced off him. It was embarrassing playing against Michael Turner. Did you have moments where you were like, please don't run my side? No, never. Um, you like to usually, hit people. You, you don't, never... run a, don't run a reverse to my side. <laughs> you know, like, uh, don't run, don't run a fucking jet sweep to my side. Cause I was one of the worst jet sweep players in America. Uh, Cause you, what you were too hyped. You get caught up inside or you just didn't read it. No, I mean like to play a jet sweep in a four, three, like if you see a, an end blow up a jet sweep in a four, three, unless he has some really good tell, he's probably just running up the fuck the fucking field and he gets action away. And he's just taking a chance. I was never the player. I was never the player that took chances. Like you see a guy blow up a boot. Unless there's a pressure on the opposite side and he's going up to that mesh that, you know, heading straight for that mesh point, he's playing it dishonest. And I'm not saying I'm like honest Abe, but I wasn't a guy who was going to take chances because just in case, and maybe this was part of being on a bad team when, you know, every Monday, if you fuck up the run fit, you're going to be just skewered because you're not going to win the game and you're terrible anyways. If action goes away and I run up the field and Adrian Peterson runs for 80 yards, it's my ass. Yeah, I, 
I have to imagine, are there certain plays where you go, oh, why are they running this right away? Like, what are they doing? Like, first series? Come on, Wildcat. guys. Wildcat. I mean, who did that to you? Who did that to you? <laughs> who hurt you? Who hurt, who hurt you? How many people hurt me? But you know what the thing about Wildcat sucks is? it You spend six hours, all these geniuses, these coaches in the NFL, they're so <laughs> paranoid. You show why if I was a head coach, I would show Wildcat once a game because the opposing team the next week is going to spend approximately seven hours prepping for Wildcat. And you might not even run it the next week. Like literally, it's the most prep for least run thing. Now it's often in the red. Is it zone. still happening? Is it still happening? The prep for it though, the way it was like after Ronnie Brown no, went I crazy. Mean, that, was, that was peak hysteria. But even right. today, you throw in a fucking Wildcat, you're going to have these coaches like up all night. Like Pop an Adderall or something to stay. See, but with. that's what used to drive me crazy. Like, I think there's also a version of that though. Whenever they'd be like, "Well, why would we ever say he's going to be, you know, playing quarterback?" That just means they have to prepare for both. I'm like, you know what? If like if Josh Dobbs is the backup, we're not actually going to run like 12 hours of prep against a Josh Dobbs offense. No, no. So we'll just probably we'll probably prep for the start. I'm not dissing Josh Dobbs. He's just the first one because he's in a transaction. No, 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 no. Yeah, but, but yeah. <laughs> It's funny. Like, I don't, don't tell anybody. anyone they're gonna we're gonna fuck up their whole week. And you'd be like, ah, oh, what do we do? Be like, I don't know. Yeah. Is it is it gonna be Roethlisberger or Josh Dobbs? Well, let's prepare for both. Tell everybody they're bringing their sleeping bags and staying here. It does you know? suck though a little bit because it's more for the coaches than the players. They just they're such nervous Nellies, and I get it. Like, they all answer to somebody, but you know, for us, if we get beat, we get beat. It doesn't matter who beats us. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one can be. I actually remember the Ronnie Brown um, Wildcat game, and then some of the Pats guys said this is a huge anti-Pats thing to do, but they were like, we weren't really prepared for it. And Belichick made a point that week in the pressers, being like, we prepared for it. Yeah, I mean that's that. Coaches take that stuff personal, you know. Actually, like uh, we ran, uh, ran, ran it short side three times, <laughs> third and third and four. How about him in a subway commercial? Yeah, what's that all about? How? When did that happen? I don't know how much how much cash do you think is pulling him into the into the subway to do a commercial? We probably have a ballpark idea of what kind of money that is. If people want to cover their ears and not hear this, it's north of to get him to do it. Like my first thought was, all right, half a mil. It's got to be seven figures. It's got to be seven, seven figures. figures. And then the other part with those ads is when they say, hey, we're going to run it again depending on how his contract is marketing people did it there could be a flat fee but there's also a renewal fee sometimes for the way those things are negotiated because mm -hmm. why would he would he look any any of us would want a half a million dollars would he want it enough to do a subway ad or maybe he just loves subs you think maybe there's a part of it he's like hey that's a brand i can get with i fucking yeah love i mean subs. yeah i mean he's like i'm not gonna be acting at all i'm just gonna be me eating a sub which i love to do every day he could love subs i've never seen him eat a sub what have you ever seen him eat? Love sweet tea. You just come down there and take a whole jug. You just take a whole jug of sweet tea. It'd be like, you know, sweet tea, set out chicken. And what the fuck am I going to say? What is anybody going to say? Have another jug of sweet tea. Did the New England Patriots Leadership Council bring it up internally that Belichick was taking too much sweet tea and then said, you know, it's better if we just don't bring it up? Well, sweet tea... I mean, a gallon of sweet tea. I don't know where you're going. Like, are you going to drink the whole thing? Because that's a lot of sugar is all I'm saying. <laughs> you know how much sugar is in sweet tea? 
You know, like when I, you're a teenager and you think Arizona iced tea is healthy because it's tea. You know, yeah, like, no, I remember those days. Snapples, like, oh, this is made from Earth. Done. Look at that fruit on the side of the fucking bottle. N- Nantucket Nectars, you know about that factory was right down the street. Nantucket Nectars used to be the worst perpetrator. There's like 56 grams of sugar in that bad boy. Like, wait a minute, kiwi, mango, lemonade? That's not good for me. That's not healthy. Kiwis are great. Fiber and other. But see what I don't. What I don't like people doing though is shitting on orange juice lately. Last few years, that's been happening. Yeah, big time. Like I wasn't a big coffee guy, but I always like a nice, you know, tall glass of OJ to get my day started. Yeah, and I, I don't do it as much now. You know, I've got I'm out in California. I got this kind of kale ginger thing going on. I got yeah, I know you do these fancy juices but they didn't tell me when i bought these fancy juices they're like get to these in three days or you open them up they explode because it's real Oh, or they just turn brown yeah i drank one you took me to the juice place once down there yeah there was one that was 12 bucks it was like 50 shades of something green or 50 shades of kale and it was like 50 dandelions i think there were just weeds in it (laughs) just and a little bit of gravel garden munching dandelions on all fours and it was the last one i had left and I opened it up and it was, you know, I was going to sit down. I was going to write. I'm a writer now. I don't know if you knew that. And I was going to get my morning started. And I had some thoughts in my head. I was like, let me get these down. But let me start with a nice big green juice because I don't drink coffee. And it was rotten. But it was so expensive, I drank it. <laughs> it and it was so, it was so stupid. Because it's Bro. like, look, look, I know the juice is like 12 bucks, but things aren't going that badly for you that you needed to, but I just, the thought of wasting the 12 bucks. So it was a little funky and I'm like, I'm drinking this ruined my day. You know what though, with that juice stuff, we as a nation get absolutely gouged by those juice people. I mean, it's just, it's, it's nonstop. You could put any number of those ingredients on the side of a juice bottle and I'd pay $20 and never ask a question. Like, is this actually good for me? What the fuck is blue magic? Like I, yeah. I drink it religiously. What's how's charcoal getting in the mix? How's well, the fact that I would pay fifteen? I would pay more money to buy a bottle of charcoal juice, and I don't even know what charcoal does for me. It I guess it's a filtering like, thing, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm drinking, I'm drinking black lemonade now, and I'm supposed to feel better. That well, you live, weird. you live next to the pantheon of of juice shops, like a juice shop in Southern California. You walk in there. And you have everybody stares at you when you walk into a barber shop. I feel like it's even worse walking into a juice shop in in Southern California. It's like the it's like the the most epic judgmental juice shop in America. There's a thirty dollars smoothie out at that place that I brought you to. Just algae, people munching algae. You walk in the, the Japanese algae, and people yeah. turn their head. They've just been face face down in a bowl of algae. Yeah, they're like a Sapporo. You're like, yeah. Okay, let's do two more football things. And then uh oh, I still have so many things I want to get. All right. Um give me uh give me a sub 500 team from last year that you like this year. Well, I'm not sure this one counts, but uh Pittsburgh oh, cool. better win north of 9 games, if you know what I mean. Uh if Ben Roethlisberger is healthy, I don't see why they can't. Um I think they're I'm be- with you on the Ben thing. I think people have really turned the page on him a little. Like, can I see him be bad first? He was hurt last year. Two years ago, he was phenomenal. I know he's older, but I want to see him bad before I actually write him off. And I feel like he's being written off. Go ahead. I agree. I, I, I agree with that's, you. That's it. And and sequential or um, subsequently, there you go. They, they, there you go. They are writing off the Steelers. Um, I don't. I, I don't know why they don't compete in in the division. Uh, I. 
like it's not out of the question that they win that division if Ben is healthy. You know, they had some pieces. He knows it's a legacy year. Like, you got to know that he hears what people are saying about him. And, you know, if you think there's any fuck around in Ben, you're not going to see it this year. If he's not healthy, that's one thing. If he's healthy, they're going to be good. They had Claypool in the draft. Uh, Eric Ebron um, is a big red. I love target. Claypool, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, Clay- I don't understand why, you know, anyway, maybe he just wasn't bad. Claypool, but- Claypool gives them something that they don't have. I mean, Juju's awesome, but they just don't have, the, you know, what Claypool brings them. And all their reviews in camp have been great. Um, and with Eric, they were really bad in the red zone last year. I know they didn't have Ben, but that's an area they're going to have to be great. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be a ton of close games in that division and field goals aren't going to cut it. So they just got Hayward done. Everybody else on that defense minus Hargraves who went to Philly is, is there. I, I think you could have put 15 quarterbacks on the team last year and they would have made a deep playoff run. That's a really good pick, except that it's they're eight and eight. So I feel like no, I know. So, so let me give you the that's line. all right. That's all right. Let me give you the Lions. Let me give you the Lions. I, the, the Detroit Lions, the three D- and twelve. A- Detroit Lions. Listen, here's the thing about Detroit Lions. The division's wide open. Do you think? Uh, do you think Green Bay is going to get better? And you know how I was on Green Bay last year. I don't. No, think they were a weird thirteen and three team. Uh, you know what I thought was really interesting though? Like Aaron Rodgers was on with Kyle Brandt, part of our Bringer podcast, up to ten questions. And he's good he at asked, that. Yeah. And when he was asked like, Hey, you're 36, they draft Jordan love and Rogers had some great answers in there, which is something that I've said for years is that Rogers was drafted because Favre threatened to retire every year for like a bunch of years. Yeah. And then he still came back every year. And so there, there, there's not the exact correlation where Rogers like, I don't want to go anywhere, but clearly he was upset about the love pick, but then he goes, Hey, they were 10 and six when they drafted me. And we were just 13 and three. We we're a game away from a Super Bowl. We won a whole. So he was talking them up like, we are this team that's right there. And I can right. understand it, but you're right. Last year at 13 and three, if you watched him every week, it didn't feel like you were scared of him despite the record. And that's, I mean, no. Garoppolo didn't throw any passes and they won that game, no problem. No, I mean, like, listen, uh, they got out physical a lot last year. They didn't invest in the skill in the skill positions. Obviously, they, they want to be more of a downhill team. I think they go backwards. I think Aaron could play awesome and, and they could go backwards. I also think the Vikings are hard to trust. You know, I was on the, the Captain Kirk bandwagon last year. I had just hopped off it. Because of the mask uh, thing? <laughs> if I <laughs> no, it wasn't the mask thing. I actually felt like I felt like at the same time I didn't know I could feel so strongly that somebody was an idiot, but also felt feel bad for them at the same time because we well, are so- friends with me, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so he don't compare yourself to Captain Kirk, okay? I don't uh, know if that's an insult or a compliment. We'll just let well, it be last unsolved. Year, left, I was, we'll I, left it unsolved. Last last year I was Team Kirk. You know that. Um, I know you were. I do, a team that so much is predicated on Dalvin Cook being healthy, you know, a running back that plays that physical and gets that many carries, you know, a team where the thing that got you beat last year was physicality and you got a smaller defensive end who, in my opinion, is a hell of a pass rusher and him and Hunter are a hell of a pairing. But did you get more physical and stout up front? I like the Lions, man. Matt Stafford, you know, everybody knows it's kind of like the hipster take right now that he was on an MVP pace last year. Uh, he's finally got maybe a run game. The kid's swift. I think we both really like him, don't we? Yeah. Are you kidding? I mean, a- yeah. AP. I mean, are people calling him AD or AP? I always get that mixed up. Do people call? What do you call Adrian Peterson for short? Well, this is an Oklahoma thing. 
because it was AD out of Oklahoma and they got so annoyed for a decade plus because it was all day. And it's like, yeah, but everybody, once it was nationally, they just started calling him AP the same way you call somebody CP, the same way you call Paul George PG. People oh. just initial it. And people out of Norman were losing their minds like everybody else outside of Oklahoma was getting it wrong. And you're like, well, it's not that everyone's getting it wrong. They just decided to call him AP. It's okay. They're also getting it right. Um, it's kind of like uh, when I call it Aaron Rodgers A-Rod on your pod last year with regularity and people got fucking mad. I was like, well, I this, don't like it. Yeah. This makes the most sense to me. So I'm going to call him A-Rod. And AP, who you know you might look at is an indication if he doesn't have much skill left in Washington, that's a new offense. You know, um, Scott Turner is going to want a bunch of motion. The same problem they ran into last year. Couldn't catch the ball out of the backfield. He's still got juice, believe it or not. And I think that they get it out of him there in Detroit. And I, and I think that they've got a shot, an outside shot at winning that division. Now they, they got to start fast last year. They lost that. They tied the game to Arizona, which essentially was as bad as a loss. Um, and the bevel mishap and that sort of thing. And then the Trey Flowers face mask, um, I think it was against Green Bay. Those are two games that they essentially dropped early, and, uh, and they were behind the eight ball. They can't do that this year. They start fast. They got a shot. I love that breakdown. That was good. You went from, hey, five and five, let me give you a, th- let me give you a three-win team from last year. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go ahead with uh, the Denver Broncos. Even though you have the Chiefs up there, I have no idea what's going to happen with Oakland slash Las Vegas now at the quarterback position. The Chargers part of this, that team is the most unhealthy football team in the history of the league. It's just it's gone on every single year. Projected starters lost as the game. Uh, lost games to injury. It's ridiculous. Eagles uh, online was, too. Eagles yeah. online too. Yeah, but do it for 10 years. That's no, I know. And then talk to me. No, yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me know how your 20s go. <laughs> Meaning yeah. the, the 2020s. And then give us a ring in 2030 and, and let us know how many games you lost. So I'll go ahead there and, and get in. Um, some of their guys back. And I actually like that, how they've rounded out the, the skill position stuff there. So, you know, not a huge, and that's putting a lot of faith into Drew Locke um, to be kind of a younger, oblivious guy who went from no shot to we have something here, which is way better than, hey, we have a shot to, oh, wow, this guy doesn't have it at all, which I think a lot of those guys that are total flameouts early on, you know right away. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's a bit overrated, but no one thought that they were going to get like, hey, you know what, there might be something here the way he played when he first got to camp. Well, he might have played some bad defenses. Uh, yeah, it could be like the Baker key. thing at the end of his first year. Where we just- yeah. I, I think one of the biggest keys is he knows the lyrics to uh, that young Jeezy song. Did you That's see right. did you, Yeah, I mean. Oh, it, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. You talk about he's He's arrived. Uh, snowman? About, yeah, the snowman. Maybe we get the snowman on the pod. We struck out on Mike Jones. You actually, you actually blew that one. But Yeah, that Mike Jones. That whole Mike Jones experience. Mike Jones, <laughs> he was uh, he was tweeting out his phone number again. Was <laughs> is it new? I don't know. I don't. Did he change his number. There was a while I was going through his tweets, and it was like, man, this is some bullshit. I need my number back. <laughs> and I was I agreed with him. I think I retweeted it because I was like, you know, look, no one else can have that number, and he he lost it for a a minute and then he got you would just get drunk calls from like 40 year old dudes nonstop. Who if I did it? No, if you if he got that number back, it would go like during the day it'd be pretty quiet. And then like 1 (laughs) a.m. Mike Jones comes on the shuffle and you get random stray calls from like 38 year old white dudes. 
daytime Mike Jones. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't have to worry about his minutes during the no. day. Now, no. if he was doing it, I don't know what his mineral status is, but if he's doing it because he's single, it'd be like, nah, Mike, like it's not. <laughs> this isn't going to work out that way for you. I don't We think. love Mike Jones, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay, five questions. Are you ready? In honor yeah. of Craig Kilborn, uh, five oh, questions. Sure. No. Uh, you got to interview him. Twice. We interviewed how, him again. How nerve-wracking is that? The first one, I definitely wanted to bring it. And the second one, I felt like I did so well the first time that, you know, I, it was good. It was good. I, gave him, I, was, I was trying to give him catchphrases to use for modern, uh, for Doncic. Yeah. Like modern, if he, you know, and he just kind of laughed. because I go, what if you end up back on SportsCenter? And he gave me this look like, it's like asking for him to move to Saturn, you know, it's <laughs> not happening. So then I said, I think you should do this with Doncic, where if you were to come back, and now I'm trying to get Van Pelt to do it, but it's not going to work. Van Pelt's a oh, you, 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 you want to coin a, a nickname or a, a catchphrase? Yeah, yeah, a catchphrase with Doncic, where he's, if he's bringing the ball up in transition and the defender's even with him, you just go, if he's even, he's Slovenian. Oh, my God. What? It it's actually supposed would to sound, be bad. It actually would sound pretty good on SportsCenter. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, You're it's, right. supposed, it's not... It's, this isn't art here, man. I'm just no, no. You're right. I just it was kind of a dad joke. Is it? I mean, shit. Yeah, guys, you yelling told, That's not even your brand. You telling a oh. dad joke is pretty illuminating. Yeah. No. I well, I was trying to find something that, that rhymed with Slovenian. And honestly, you go ahead. Get back to me. Let me know okay. how you do on that one. Slovenian, okay. All right. I'll tell you by the end of five questions. All right, it's time for five questions. <laughs> All right. Five questions. First one is WWE calls you. And they say, okay, we want you to join our family. We want you to be a professional wrestler. Your, your name is going to be the Longshoreman. And you're going to wear, like, Andrea Gale outfits. Hold on. And, Let me look up big... what, a, what a Longshoreman looked like back in the day. Because do they still have Longshoremen? Oh, yeah. Longshore, there's unions and everything. But I think they, the dress is, is evolved. Um, over, over the I'm years. just seeing black and white pictures. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's maybe they would shoot in black and white. Yeah. Well, I think the other part is if you go the wire longshoreman, then it's hard hat, vest, car hearts, which I'm sure you have the car heart part. You probably even have a, a hard hat somewhere around. Oh, there. I yeah. could go out and look like one of the longshoremen from the wire. What was that? Season three? Season two. Two? Yeah. yeah. Season two. Yeah. I didn't, th I thought that that season got, got, Un, undo shit i thought it was better than people, people well the problem was is that the season was so amazing the first season like this is why i, I mean look it's like a lot of people it's my favorite tv show but it was an incredibly diverse cast and it was trying to tell the most real version of what goes on because essentially simon and burns um the guys behind the creation of the show it was it was their life's work so instead of being a 25 year old writing off some script this is guys that have been covering this story and the developments in these neighborhoods for decades and so their life's work was that show which is why i think it was so great there's a bunch of reasons why it's great but it was a very diverse cast and then a lot of the black actors when they saw the season two storyline they were like are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, are we we're, doing why, this? We're doing, we're just now going to be, and, and a lot of the guys that were main stars, the first, it's like, no, you're still in the mix. You're still in the storyline. Yeah, you're just, you're just going away for a second. Now, if you read the oral history about Jonathan Abrams, which is terrific, um, an old Grantland alum, it gets into some of the, did they need to make the cast more white for the times? And is that what they were doing? But if you know anything about David Simon, it wasn't like he was going, hey, I want to, I want to not have a diverse 
Right. Um, I don't. I don't have a diverse cast. I mean, the guy was about diversity as, as much as any writer of, of his era that I can think of. So anyway, um, yes. I oh think yeah, Marlo. Marlo act- was season three. Yeah. Um, I think it's a poorly acted season. I thought some of the guys in the second season just weren't super believable, but it always gets dumped on as if it's the absolute worst. But then some people think season five is the worst, but I, I don't, I don't. Okay. You know, it could be a fun, uh, we could cut this, but you know, it could be fun one day is doing like a band, you know, eat a, a great a draft bands. of bands for a lot. No, yeah. We do a draft of a festival draft, but no, uh, uh, like likening that season to a band's album, like one of the great, Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Somebody's gonna steal that shit if you keep this in here. But, but we had a comment. Yeah, but see, I can't, I can't say "Living Color" <laughs> times up because "Times Up" is still terrific. Because the slow songs at the end of "Living Color" are. But I'm know, still saying end. that you could, you could. I mean, standing alone. Give me, give me your sophomore other, band. My sophomore band. You, you. Uh, I guess you were saying the sophomore album from a band that you love, where you're like, eh. Yeah, well, it, it could, it, it, maybe not even that, like the way some people look at that season as more of a stain. I kind of look at five as a stain. Yeah, more people, I think people that really love the show actually look at this five as, as the one that bums them out. I, okay, good. I then know. we can agree I, on that. I, I, you I, know what I do with about The Wire? I, I choose to be bummed out by none of it. Yeah, that's what yeah. I do with the wire. I choose to not be bummed out by it. If they could, if they could, Men in Black, like flash me with that little pen that they used to flash the people with in Men in Black and show me a show all over again, I, that would be the wire for me. If I could start over with no knowledge of the show, it'd be the wire. Okay, that counts as a question. We're flying along. <laughs> Men in Black memory erase thing. Okay, um, any comment on Jay Cutler and Tommy Loren? Is it Loren? I don't know. I just did it differently that time because it might be Tommy Lauren. I honestly don't know how to say her last name, um, but I, I think that's not true. Big Cat confirmed that one wasn't true, correct? Yeah, and 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 Big Cat is like the Woj of Jay Cutler's personal life. He's Jay Cutler's Woj. Yeah, or he's that's unbelievable. Yeah, he he. It's <laughs> more like LeBron's guy, Windhorse. He's, he's Jay Cutler's Windhorse. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, this is another segment that we could do is who is everyone's wind horse yes or woach yeah <laughs> that would be who what are you the wind horse of me <laughs> yeah i guess some people think i'm the carson wentz wind horse yeah that would be pretty good but see wind horse i don't think first of all i don't think i know wind horse despite his connection to lebron he is not the LeBron um, water carrier. He is okay. not that at all. Yeah, no, there, there I wasn't are that. have cut the that. line. Yeah, no, there are others that have just sprinted to the front of that line and, and Windhorse is gladly let But he's got the access. Position, so. He's got the access, just like Big Cat has the access to Jay Cutler. I like I like he's Jay Cutler's Woj better than Windhorse. I do, and I think it's great. And I think we need to, we need to expand this. Okay, who's closer to a comeback? You, Kyle, or Howie? <laughs> Well, I know this. They're not going to pay me twelve grand to fucking get a call on a Friday and come in and play the Lions or some shit with no fans in the stands. I'm not doing that backup anything. Uh, so you can take me out of the conversation. Maybe Kyle, because you know he's up there doing CBS stuff. You know he's up in New York uh, doing CBS stuff, and I'm excited for him doing the pregame stuff. But he's pretty close to a couple big market teams. Like, 
I don't know. He's like 250 right now, but maybe he maybe he gets the bug at some point. He's 250? No, he's like 270, but on him, 270 looks like, yeah. you know. Totally. I mean, he, yeah. he could be 310 and mu- muscular in a minute, but. Yeah, he's a mutant. And by the way, he could probably get down to 265 and catch passes and run routes. Don't tell him that. To. Don't tell him that. You'll give him an idea. All right. <laughs> Kyle Long, tight end? <laughs> no, I, I think it's probably you know what I always wished? I wish my dad would have become a GM. Although I think he'd be a great GM. I really do. I think he'd have been great in the front office somewhere. But I also can't see him doing that like just really life sucking work of being an NFL executive. It's a commitment to be good at it. You know, I always get annoyed when I hear about somebody that has those jobs and you're like, oh, that guy doesn't work. Like you're you're given this honor to run this team that represents this city and represents a state. And I, I think it's like a big deal. I think it's something it is a big deal. At, and you should look at it as if like, I need to change my life for the thousands of people, tens of the hundreds of thousands, say that are people that are relying on me to put together a good product. And some people just think they're owed those jobs because yeah. they did yeah. something for the franchise. So I don't know. And look, it's not like it hasn't quite worked out for your dad. No, so I mean, he's TV got a pretty good life, out, but yeah. I just, it's so funny to me to know somebody who was so talented as a player, so talented his post football career, but he had this unrealized potential. I, I, I swear. But yeah, I think Kyle would have been closer to coming back than me. I'm good. Yeah. I can tell whenever you're walking around in front of your dad, he's just looking at your gate. You know, he's kind of looking yeah, he's at like hips. analyzing. Yeah. Yeah, right, he's trying to see me. He's looking at me. He goes, "Your wingspan's nothing special." I was like, "Sorry, <laughs> sorry." It's a little exhausting. <laughs> okay, uh, that's enough of questions. We do want to make an announcement, just so everybody hears it from us. Chris and I are not going to be doing every Monday this season for the Ringer. Um, Chris's stuff is doing great, and we always knew this is probably going to happen. As he grows, he's going to kind of grow his thing and do his thing. But uh, hopefully, because I know how much everybody loves it, and obviously, I'm. I'm I'm not even disappointed. I'm happy for my friend. So we're going to hopefully be able to get you on maybe once a month or whatever, just a handful of times throughout the football season. I really hope we can do that. But I want everybody to hear from us because it's no big deal other than Chris just keeps growing his thing. And that's just the way it's going to work. So he needs to do his Mondays. This is like, the, the yeah, it's like us. And I don't want to speak for everybody when you say that people are disappointed. But, uh, no, people are going to be disappointed. There's going to be some people who are not so disappointed. But I will tell you, uh, that was the best like parents telling their kids that they're divorcing talk I've ever heard. But we're not <laughs> divorcing. We're just living in separate houses and like I can come over once a month. Well, I'm used to it. So I know how to say it. Uh, but I would. <laughs> oh, my God. Off the top rope, making me feel like shit. And I don't get to come back for three weeks. So you just call me anytime you want, man. I love coming on the show. And, and Rye will be on my show, too, uh, which which is is awesome. I'm getting hammered right now betting the NBA, and you know that. Um, I know. I didn't help. I didn't help, but... <laughs> your guy, think, your guy came yeah, through the other night. We got a guy. Any gambling advice that starts with, I just got off the phone with a guy. <laughs> and listen to this. Okay. Uh, and by the way, if you want to follow everything Chris is doing, it's at C Sizzle Long Sports <laughs> Takes. That's two Zs. Yeah. Yes, uh, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not on Twitter anymore, so don't even look for me. <laughs> He'll tip his dough in every now and then, and he takes it right back out. Yep. Fuck that site. You're the best, buddy. All right, man. Appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? 
I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Okay, life advice is um, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. We've got a few. I'm going to do these once a week, I think, is the move. I don't know. People seem to really like them, but now that the pod thing is changing around, I definitely don't want to be doing... Once the basketball ends and I'm three a week with football, kind of all my own and not doing them with Bill, I don't think I want to do three a week. I, I think that's a little oversaturation. You know, maybe you I'll think do there's that even that good soon. amount of questions for three a week. Who knows? Well, you've done a good job with these, Kyle. And oh, shucks. there are definitely enough questions. Yeah. Well, you know. Okay, let's uh let's get to it. We're gonna call this guy the B Man. Because I some of you guys are you don't want me using your name. Some of you don't say say you don't care, but I'm just looking out for you. Um, because if, you know, look, this, this pod's worldwide. I, I don't know if, if you know this. Huge in New Zealand. Um, apparently, there's a T-shirt of me in some no some way. bazaar in India. Yeah, bazaar in India. So, oh no, there's no New Zealand Stephen Adams T-shirt. Uh, God, I hope not. That's gonna suck if I ever run into him. I'm going to be like, no, it's actually because I believe that you're tough and thought you were playing soft. I don't think I'm sure that'll matter. go. <laughs> I th I'm sure it'll go over well. Be like, oh, you called me soft because you think I'm tough. Oh, OK, let's hang oh, out. Thanks, dude. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's be mates. Nice. Speaking of mates, I'm reading that book. Uh, you're going to I might get you a copy of this book. Send me your address. I'm going to get you on the Rosillo book club. If you want, I'll read it. Uh, I've been reading stuff on the beach lately. Is it a beach book? Oh, totally, totally. Right. It's uh, it's Among the Thugs. Oh yeah. Um, by Bill Buford. The cover alone is just absolutely perfect for you. Um, basically, the book is about hanging out with the hooligans, soccer hooligans. Oh wow! And he just goes firsthand and starts hanging out with these guys, even though you know it's not politically what he's about. Um, he he just went to this party at this pub that he doesn't name. Um, I think it was up in Cambridge or something, but he basically hangs out with a bunch of fascists all, all night. <laughs> and he's like horrified. Um, and I'm being nice by the way I describe it. So, uh, you can check out the, that book so far, you know, almost halfway down. Maybe we'll do a little book. We might do a Rosilla book club review on that one. Cause it's, or, you know what? We might not, I'm not sure, but man, <laughs> uh, you try not to paint with a broad brush, right? Hey, everyone from this country is this way. Every, everyone from England is not a soccer hooligan. That's incredibly unfair, but and this book was written like 30 years ago, but it reminds me a little bit of the Hunter S. Thompson Hell's Angels thing, which I think anyone that thinks they're sort of like artsy and cool in their early 20s buys. Like it's a rule. You have to have that book and you walk around and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm reading Hunter S. Thompson. He's the Hell's Angels. Yeah. This is so cool. Look at me. Um, but this book is terrific. So How check it out. Book? All right. Small, 300 pages. Oh, yeah. That's, that's in my you. wheelhouse. Perfect for you. Nice. Yeah. 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 Perfect for you. Yep. Okay, I'm going to get a copy out to you, so send me that address. Okay, B-Man. Hey, guys. K, King, Kyle, and Ryan. Now that maybe I know why you picked this one. Mid-20s, best friend from growing up, started a business a little less than a year ago. We're doing pretty well. We've hired a few employees. We're making more money than we thought we would at this point, especially if you told me a pandemic was going to hit. We completely see eye-to-eye -eye in our business goals and have zero arguments other than a few small issues when it was just the two of us in a tiny WeWork office going through growing pains early on. I'm going to be the best man in his wedding next year, and our friendship has never been better. Sweet. The issue is I can't stand his fiance. 
and neither can any of our friends. They met in college. By the time we all had met, they had been together for about two years, and she was cordial. This is an unbelievable cordial spelling I have in front of me. She was cordial at first. <laughs> uh, once we get to know her, the real she-devil came out, and I slowly misogynist much. Just kidding. Um, came out, I slowly asked each of our friends if they liked her. Um, and every single person, even the guy who loves everyone. Oh, you have a love everyone, buddy? Those guys are great. Uh, even he can't stand to be around her. But at this point, it's already been three plus years. He's been like a brother to me. And my family's told me to not bring her around because she's been so rude to them as well. Ouch. Um, she constantly belittles him and everyone around. And it honestly seems as though he doesn't see it. We have a group chat without him uh, going. <laughs> oh, no. It's <laughs> already title. started. With the title using his name as a play on saving Silverman and throughout these conversations, I've been tasked to break the news to him about how we all really feel. My question to you is, should I tell him how we really feel and risk not only our friendship, but the business as well? I feel I owe it to him to say something um, as his best friend I don't want him to make and uh, what we see as a lifelong mistake. Okay, so my yeah, all right. I don't want to see him make what we see as a lifelong mistake, but I give him about a 1% chance of success. Has this ever been successful in the history of mankind? <laughs> um, and next time you're at the garden bar at Big Fork, We'll uh, slam some mumble, uh, rumple mints. Let's not, and talk rock. Okay, wait a minute. So the last line, <laughs> it was going great, and then it went terribly wrong. This, this sentence was so exciting, and then was exactly the thing I don't want to ever do. He's like, let's go to the garden bar in Big Fork, Montana. Done. We'll have to slam rumple mints and talk rockets hoops. Out and out on those. You had me at Big Fork. You lost me at rumple mints, and then it was an extra side of you lost me with rockets talk. I'll sit through either one, but, uh, just so you know. Yeah. I could see you. I could see you handling a full night of rumplements. I think your organs are probably still, still clean enough. Okay. Um, let's see here. Oh, this is a tough one. I mean, this is this is one of the great mysteries of mankind, as you point out. So, okay, the first thing you have to remember: anytime you tell a guy that you don't like his girl, he's going home to the girl every night, not you. All right. So already you're, you're battling uphill in a land war with like arrows. And they're up there. So you're just already at this massive disadvantage because few men, if they're deciding, like, you don't know what it's like with them behind closed doors, like the conversations that they have, the the intimate moments. You don't know about any of this stuff that's made them get to this point where they want to spend the rest of their lives together for three plus years. I've been the guy that girls have defended and been like, you don't know what he's like. <laughs> and I'll be like, eh, I don't know. I think everybody kind of does. But I've heard, you know what I'm saying? Like, so... You, you, you have to understand what a massive disadvantage this is going to be. So if, if your goal is to get him to not want to be with her anymore, I don't know that it's worth it because then you're going to be the guy that told him to dump her and break up with her, to call off the wedding, and you're the best man, okay? So if you say this before <laughs> the wedding, you're not going to be the best man anymore, which maybe is a good... Some people like Keep it. Some suit. people are like, sweet, I don't have to deal with this anymore. But then then what? You're going to hang out at the wedding the whole time? Because the other problem is most people don't keep secrets. And not only do people not keep secrets, they exaggerate what the hell even happened in the first place. So he's going to probably tell her that you said, hey, you should call it off and that nobody likes him. So then there's the business part. So if it was just a friend, we know what's at risk and you don't want to do it. Now, if your business concern is that you don't want her involved in the company, they get married, you got to talk to him about that. And that might be your end. This happened with a friend of mine in a bar where it was two single guys and one was not a looker at all. <laughs> and he ended up kind of like getting with 
a girl that was was definitely way more attractive than he was, but we'd kind of known the deal about the girl and the other partner was like, look, he's going to marry this girl. And, you know, we, we know her deal. And he goes, I'm going to just tell him straight up, like, Hey, we're getting, we're getting her. She's not in the agreement. Like she's now not co-owner with me and you because of marriage. And it ended up, I think they ended up having to sell the place or something. And it it ended up kind of like, yeah, but it would like the other guy was like, I am not opening this other place up with you if you are marrying this person, because unless you get it in a prenup that she has nothing to do with this place, right. which is actually fair. Like if you're the other business partner, that's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's not as absurd as say you and somebody else are living together, a couple guy roommates, and then next thing you know, she lives the guy, the other guy gets a girlfriend and she's living there the whole time. Like you could say, Hey, we need to split the utilities three ways, or you could just go, whatever, you know, like, all right, I'm getting hammered for an extra 12 to 24 bucks a month on water and electric. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, but if you own a business with somebody and now they're bringing somebody else into their life as, is not only their, their spouse, but it's kind of like a business partner. Cause that's the way the law works. If you look at divorces, that's something where I would go, Hey, look, I don't think it's breaking news here that we're maybe not on the same page, but how do you feel about, you know, protecting the business because this is my business as much as your business, but it doesn't mean we're bringing on some sort of partner. And then I think you can kind of maybe get to the other part of the conversation you want to. Now, if he says, Hey, whatever, I'm getting married and she's what's mine is hers. You're like, okay, peace. Um, I would not do that. I don't care. I don't care if I loved, loved my best friend's wife. Um, you just, you got to protect yourself. And I think that's saying, uh, I, I think it's totally normal. So I don't know, as far as the friendship part of it, you're going to probably ruin the friendship if you try to do it. But well, sometimes you got to let other people make mistakes or maybe they'll hit it off and they'll fall in love. Okay. Uh, another, another guy who's in love here. I'm not going to say this guy's name either because I think he makes it okay. This guy. All right, here we go. Thanks for reading this situation. 34 living in Nashville, making good money, well over six figures. Jesus. Pretty good looking guy, average to athletic build, full head of hair, won't go bald. Wow, this guy's got it all. I have pretty good self-awareness, do you? Um, <laughs> to say that I'm a pretty good catch, but I'm also not the number one pick inside the bar. I'm not shy and overall good at talking to women. All right, you know what? Actually, I like that that first line there. I, I'm having a little fun with it. Um, don't be fake humble. Let's 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 scroll in here. I think I got a picture here that you forwarded. No yeah, way. whatever. He looks. He, he looks all right there. No, he didn't send me. If he sent me a picture, we wouldn't have read it, <laughs> <laughs> or we would have read it and then tweeted out the picture and been like, "What do you think?" Um, he appears that could sound super arrogant there, but you know what? I, I'm going to go ahead with it. It's I'm going to allow it. Um, all right. So he goes. I've been dating a girl for almost two years. She's awesome, very cute and sporty. She played D1 sport at a major university, financially well off. I would be marrying into some money. See, I like this guy. That he's about facts. He's saying the things that everybody thinks that people don't want to say out loud. And we share the same values. That's hard to find right now. She's the closest I've had to. Uh, she's the closest I've ever had of proposing to someone. Well, I hope you don't have like seven people you were close to proposing Michael to. Scott. But let's just keep. Let's just keep moving. <laughs> Okay. With all that said, I'm still struggling to pull the trigger on proposing to her because although everything on paper is pretty much perfect, I still do not know if I'm physically attracted to her enough to make her the only girl I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. She's very cute and attractive, but not a smoke show. Okay. Now, again, people are going to hear that and be like, this guy's a jerk. He gets along with her. He even brought up her family's money. So maybe this guy is the problem, but it already sounds like if you marry her, you're going to cheat on her. If you're already thinking this way right now, I think this is a problem. 
All right. I've been wrestling with this for months. I want to marry her because we're incredibly compatible. We agree on the major things in life, kids, finances, values. Uh, I also fall victim to the comparison game. All my friends are married and have started having kids. And I feel like a failure. I did not have this part of my life figured out. Do not feel like a failure. Do not feel like a failure. Do not feel like a failure. There's like 8 billion of us. A lot of people have kids. Um, don't worry about it. You'll get there. Uh, I, I just don't do that to yourself. Anyway, I uh, live in a great city in Nashville. So if we break up, I'm confident there would be good uh, other fish in the sea. Hopefully, I don't sound like a total douche. Well, uh, but I think you get my drift. Uh, what would Ryan do? Okay. Two things. I actually do like your honesty that you're you're saying the things that would make her a great catch. Uh, one of my friends said something to me that I thought was really, really important. And his name is Sully. And I'm going to share this. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, tell me about your wife. And he got into it and he said, you know what, man? He goes, I married my best friend. He goes, I married my best friend. And it was the most important number one thing to me. And I was blown away by how mature of an answer it was uh, and how really what he was saying was like the right thing. So yes, would we all love to be with the person that is the most, I mean, look, some people are very into looks. Some people are not. Chances are, if you're not in the looks, it means that maybe, I, I don't know, you fill in the blank on that one. <laughs> but um, I, I'm not going to, you know, like, I, I don't think you're shallow for going, I would like to have a, a, a wife that I look at and I'm like, you know, she's gorgeous. But you know what else would be awesome? To have a wife that I get along with every single day. A wife that believes in the same things as me. The wife that when we put the plan together, you're like, hey, this is great. And then she's saying like, you know what I think we should do is sell our cars and ride bikes to work. And you're like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> so that stuff is way more important if you're spending every day of the rest of your life with them. But I am a little afraid that you just described your potential future wife as a non-smoke show. And again, it may be totally accurate and you're just being honest with this whole thing. Um, my guess is you're going to have a bit of a Oh, you're probably going to have like an emotional relationship with somebody through DMs five years after you get married. That would be my prediction. And maybe it leads to tragedy. Maybe it leads to, uh, I don't know, maybe, but for young, for, I don't know, old, yeah, this applies to any age. I really do think this, like if you're actually going to pull the trigger, <laughs> here I am like super married guy, right? Uh, <laughs> if you're going to pull the trigger, it has to be somebody that, I know this sounds simple, but the getting along with someone, it sounds like you get along with this person for every single reason, except that instead of like a nine or a 10, she's an eight. You know, that seems, that's a harsh. Send a picture. It's a harsh grading scale, but again, no, (laughs) I don't want to even want to get into that game. Okay. One more here. A lot, a lot of lovers out there this week. Okay. The E-man, huge fan of the show, favorite personalities. Thank you. Okay. Uh, oh, I played a major role in his decision to pursue a career in the industry. Okay. 23 years old, working in local TV. Not going to say where. It's my first job out of college. So you already got a job in a small Midwest town out of college. That's great. First time in my life, I have some real money in my pocket. Feels great, doesn't it? Stable work environment. And I bet you're not making any money whatsoever. I cannot believe when I look at the starting salaries for TV, they're the same as they were like 20 years ago. It's un believable now the top end is down like you used to play local guys seven figures all the time um that is not the case anymore but the entry level numbers like i know what i made then and i'll see some people going wait you're still at like 40 or 50 to be on tv is your first job i think there's some look there's jobs in the 30s definitely still and that's what it was 
uh, and I'm talking 30,000 a year. And we can get a bunch of different debates of what that means. But usually it comes down to this. Hey, do we know that we could pay almost no one? Like we could pay you almost nothing and you would still take this job because you're starting your career. You get to start in the markets. That's why, again, when people are like, hey, can I have a job at ESPN? Can I have a job at The Ringer? Like, have you been on the air anywhere else? No? Well, let's love your, love your goal strategy, but let's, let's dial it back a little bit. Okay. All right. So started seeing this girl. Things are going well. She's amazing. It's one of those things that just came out of nowhere when I wasn't really expecting it. It's only been a few months, but we get along really well. And there's a connection that we both acknowledge runs way deeper than it should at this point. She has aspirations of moving out to LA to try her hand at show business. Okay. Okay. I fully support her wanting to leave and follow her dreams, but a part of me doesn't want what we have to end. And I want to see things through, see if it's a real deal. This is tough. This one's going to be a tough one. Like most people starting off in media, I don't want to stay put in a smaller market. Yep. Um, there's a side of me that wants to risk it and follow her out to LA, see if I can move forward with my own career while also seeing where our relationship goes. Part of me is wary of making an impulse decision by leaving a stable job that allows me to grow as a journalist and storyteller. Uh, but another part of me thinks it'd be crazy not to take a chance and head with her to California. I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, Feel free to rip apart my 23-year-old thought process. I am not going to rip apart your thought process at all, man, because I, I like what you're doing here because this is a really, really tough one. You like this girl. She's going to go to LA. If you try to do long distance from you in the middle of America, it's not going to work out. Um, it just isn't because your hours are going to be weird. She's going to be doing certain trials. She's going to go to parties. You're going to be asking who's there. And like in the first month, she's going to tell you how great it is. And then like three months later, you're still going to be trying to do it. And she doesn't get back to you. And then you see an Instagram post. You're like, why did that completely, you know, how come I can't follow your stories anymore? Like all this weird stuff is going to happen. And I don't think you want to do that. So the long distance part is out. Now, I'm going to go ahead because I saw the picture that you sent in, um, which would get on some of these, these emails. I see you as a white male. I'm just telling you right now, in this business, 23-year-old white male to be on TV, uh, especially in a market as big as LA, probably not impossible, but it's not exactly like a huge demand in the industry right now. And I know that there are so many things that are going on, but like I feel like some of the really great stories that don't get told enough is that the diversity in broadcasting, uh, in television, in writing, on that part of it, it has been going on for a while now, and I don't think it ever gets talked about enough as a positive. But the downside of it is, and I can speak to this, and look, if you're listening to this and you disagree, what's your experience in sports broadcasting? Is it zero? Okay, we're going to ask you to sit this one out then. Because, um, yeah, it's just not a huge demand like, hey, can we get a ton of white men on the TV? Because that's what this industry has been forever. And it's just not what it's going to be. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. There should be way more diversity than we used to have. Um, and I've talked about this before with the radio lineup at ESPN. It was like six white guys at one point from every show for the first 12 hours a day. And you're like, how the hell did that even happen? So, you know, if, you're, if you think you're going to get on TV in LA coming from the Midwest at 23, I would say, look, nothing's impossible, but the odds are not in your favor. And I don't know if anybody's going to be as real as I am with that, but the odds are not in your favor. Maybe you're amazing on television. Maybe you have some sort of connection. Uh, maybe you give it a shot. Maybe you tell the station, hey, I know this is nuts, but I'm basically, it sounds like you're kind of really into this girl. Like if you love her, I'm not against you giving it a shot. I'm just telling you the odds are stacked against you. And, you know, here's the deal. If you got a job this soon and if you got it on your own because you're good enough, and I don't know if you knew somebody or whatever, but you're you're not going to never have a job again. So if you go to LA, the job thing doesn't work out, but you hit it off with her. Maybe that's 
that's more important than anything else. If it doesn't work out, you can go get a job somewhere else at some point. You will get a job. You could be a producer. Yeah, or you could be a producer behind the scenes and Kyle Brandt. and hate everyone that's on air and then slowly, <laughs> slowly get their job. Although I don't think Kyle hated anybody. Yeah, I so. don't think so either. He doesn't yeah. seem like it. Ethan, you're 23. Give it a shot, but it'd be a way better. I'd like your chances better if, um, you know, she were moving a, a, a different market. So, but that's not, that's not the point. I know this one guy, I had a friend back in Boston who, uh, was really smart, like a really smart kid, but he was definitely rough around the edges and it wasn't like my main crew of guys, but it was, it was this other group that like, you'd love hanging out with them in spurts, but you couldn't hang out with them for like, they didn't want to be your main, like it wasn't a Friday, Saturday routine with these guys. Cause they were going to get into fights they were, you know, they just didn't have, and they were kind of bringing my buddy down a little bit, even though they were like salt of the earth guys, right? And my buddy had some issues, um, family and stuff. I mean, he had a tough, tough life, but he met this girl um, that went to Harvard and they totally hit it off. And, you know, he drove out and never looked back. So it can happen. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Ryan Rosillo podcast, and we will talk to you on Thursday.